Hey there, welcome to Synergistic Healing Podcast. I'm your host, Kristen, and today we're talking with Amanda Montalvo from yournontoxiclife.com. Amanda is an integrative dietitian and a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. She helps women heal from hormonal birth control, balance their hormones, and boost their energy for a better life. Today, in this episode, Amanda's going to talk to us all about the different stages that we go through each month in our cycle. We're going to talk about how to nourish our bodies and how we can heal from things like hormonal birth control. We talk a little bit about hormonal acne and answer a few questions as a bonus at the end. And this episode really is for any woman or anyone with daughters who wants to understand the way their bodies work a little better. So let's dive in and talk to Amanda about how our cycle is more than just our period. And Amanda is an integrative dietitian. Today, she's going to talk to us about uh, kind of our different areas of our cycle and what we can do to nourish our bodies during our cycle. Uh, So Amanda, do you want to go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about what you do and kind of how you got into this? Yeah. So I originally started as like kind of your typical dietitian. I was in RD school and then I had lots of my own health issues. So I was like on hormonal birth control and that pretty much started lots of my problems. I had really bad acne and I was trying to look for ways to use more like food as medicine, which is like a lot of what I was learning in school, but also I was learning more. I was getting into like the paleo diet and stuff like that. So that kind of started me on this whole journey to figuring out like I shouldn't take medications to cover up symptoms and like a lot of them don't actually work. My skin was still terrible. So I was realizing that, you know, the stuff I was trying with Western medicine, like just wasn't enough. And that's when I just dove into the research. I got obsessed. I'm like a total PubMed nerd, which I'm sure you can relate to. (laughs) And that, and I went back to school because I was like, I have to learn more. Like there's so much more that can be done, especially for women. I personally feel like women's health is a joke. You know, like we do not get the kind of support that we need. We aren't informed on like a lot of our different choices around our bodies. Uh, So I got really into that. And since like birth control is a big part of my journey, that's typically what I help a lot of women do is really kind of healing from hormonal birth control or getting off of it or supporting their bodies while they're on it. You know, everyone's like, really different with what works for them um, or what people are ready for. So that's, you know, supporting hormone balance, detoxification, and just like overall feeling good. That's pretty much what I do on a day-to-day basis. So you started out as a registered dietitian? Is what yeah. You so how does that differ from like some people who are kind of like health coaches or functional um, and integrative? Obviously, you're taking kind of a more functional approach mm-hmm. um, of what you do. So what, what exactly does a, like a registered dietitian do for people who don't know how that's different from maybe someone who's a health coach or something like that? Yeah. So a registered dietitian, it was just National Registered Dietitian Day too. So <laughs> there was like a bunch of memes of like the differences. <laughs> but basically if you're an RD, it's like you have to go to school and at least get your bachelor's in dietetics and uh, nutrition science. And then you go and you do an internship for a year and work for someone else. And you have all different types of rotations. So like a lot of people think of an RD as being like in a hospital setting or an outpatient setting or at like a diabetes center or something like right. that. Whereas if you're, anyone can call themselves a nutritionist, which mm-hmm is insane to me, but, um, anyone can be a nutritionist or like a health coach. They're specifically usually taking a course. It's a certification process, not a licensure. And you learn, you learn about like more of like a wide array of things. You're not learning about medical nutrition therapy, which is what I was taught in school. Mm -hmm. And then like to become more integrative, I was like, okay, so 
how can I learn more about all this stuff? So I went back to school for functional and integrative medicine and have gone on to get a bunch of certifications, um, which I, I know like you like to nerd out around that stuff too. Um, so I'm always kind of learning, but, and then that, like, that's kind of how I got focused on like hormonal health and gut health and detox and stuff is because you just can kind of keep going further. Sure. Well, I, I think a lot of people think of, um, like you said, registered dietitian as someone who's working in a hospital and they're not always necessarily um, kind of integrative or functionally minded in terms of um, when they are working in that setting. So I think it's, it's probably a good um, like kind of differentiation to make yeah. because I think that's typically when I think of a, that, that's what I think of someone working in like a hospital, like you're saying. And, and it's funny, I took, I had to take a, um, it was a, one of my classes had a module on like dietetics in it and it talked about like the history of it. It was super fascinating when it, the, the person who um, gave the lecture was talking about how we as human beings used to eat um, for what like felt like what made us feel good. And then all of a sudden it switched it when it switched to more like a scientific approach where we're talking about like protein and carbs and, and like calorie measurements, how it kind of like everything got out of whack because all of a sudden it's science and, and it's like kind of unattainable or, or not as easily understood by people as when we were like, listen, this fit is the food that makes you feel good. And this is the food we should eat. And this is the food that makes you feel like crap. That's the food you should avoid. And then everything kind of got all, <laughs> all haywire from that point. Um, but it's a super interesting field. And I think it's kind of something that not everybody really knows what it is. <laughs> Agreed. Totally agreed. A lot of people are like, so what do you do? I'm like, well, I'm not your typical dietitian, so it makes it even more complicated. Yeah, yeah for sure. But I like that you have the science behind it too, which is always a, a good thing in my opinion. Um, so in terms of, now I totally agree. I feel like us as women or women in general are not told a lot about your period in general, except for that you get it and it sucks and it's gonna, you're going to like probably feel like crap and you're going to be moody and you're going to have hormone problems. That's just something you have to deal with. And like, that's about it. I don't think a lot of women understand that there's ebbs and flows to it. There's different things going on. There's your different things happen at different times in your cycle. I think people are just probably, I would say maybe, maybe ovulation and then like the actual event of your period is probably the extent of what most people are taught or know. And then there's not much else that, <laughs> that comes along with it. So I mean, I think, what do you want to kick off with a little bit on like the cycle of? Yeah, I yeah. would love to talk about how women are <laughs> cyclical creatures. Like, I there feel like go. when I learned that, I was like, oh, that makes oh, so oh. much more sense. Yes, there's a light bulb there. Because like, yeah. a lot of a lot of us think cycle and we think um, like our menstrual cycle, our period. But when I say cycle, like wh when I ask women about like their cycles, stuff like that, they think I'm talking period. But I mean like your whole monthly cycle because we all live on this monthly cycle, even after once we go through menopause. Sure. So if you just kind of remember that women are cyclical creatures, even like with time, like we do better in like 60 to 90 minute intervals and like taking breaks frequently, but not quite as frequently. Um, just like, it's just how our brains work. It's how everything kind of flows. So we all live on a cycle, a monthly cycle. And then we have these like smaller cycles kind of in between on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but when you talk about the menstrual or the kind of like your monthly cycle, it's got four phases, which I like totally did not know for a really long time. Um, even in school, that's like when I first was introduced to this concept, I was in college and I was like, are you kidding me? Like, this is insane. Um, but it's really like the menstrual phase, which is what most women think of when they think of cycle. And then yeah. we've got the follicular phase, ovulation, which you mentioned, which I don't think many women understand. 
because when I talk about hormonal birth control and how it impacts the body and how it suppresses ovulation, they're like, what's that? So well, I think maybe women do, maybe not the, the, the cycle part of it or, you know, the different phases, yeah. but like they know, oh, I have cramps like a week before my period. There's something like to that and yeah. but maybe not necessarily like where it falls or what it is in the actual um, scheme of the whole cycle. Mm-hmm. And then that last phase is just that luteal phase. And that's like right before your period um, and like the very end of your cycle. But we can kind of go into each one and if you want and like go through yeah. some tips. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the first one is your menstrual phase and that is day one. It starts on day one of your cycle. So if you're trying to figure out how long your cycles are, day one is the first day of your period. Um, and so in, during this phase, your hormones are the lowest, which is funny because we're actually the most similar to men during our period. Um, cause you definitely don't feel like it. And because our hormones are so low, we're, you know, it's a better time for us to be like, quiet, your brain, like your left and right hemisphere actually talk to each other a lot more. So like a lot of times, like you might feel really creative. Like the reason a lot of us want to be alone and like feel a little bit more drawn inward is because you have a lot of communication going on in your brain. You feel more like intuitive. You might feel emotional, but I think it's just because a lot of us feel like we shouldn't be emotional, you know, and like, we're kind of trying to hold that back a little bit, but it's, it's like a super special time in your cycle. And it can be really awesome if you kind of balance things out. Um, I know one person asked about like what to eat during this time and some really important things for your menstrual phase is like a lot of red of course, like quality, organically sourced, grass-fed, grass-finished if possible, just because it's going to have lots of iron and B vitamins and things like zinc. Um, And then of course, like I really like seaweed or like nori or something like that because it's got those like sea minerals in there. Um, And a lot of times we're getting depleted during this time because we are actually like bleeding. Uh, And just like fermented veggies, that pretty much goes your whole cycle though. Like fermented vegetables are great. Um, and you'll hear me say them probably a lot, but (laughs) during this time and just not being super strict, you know, like we'll kind of zoom out and look at the whole, all different phases of your cycle. But yeah, during your period, it's definitely, those can be really beneficial and just eating enough, you know, like not being afraid of like overeating and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, just like, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, I, I actually take, I always, I try to take it frequently, but I try to take it more when I'm kind of in that phase of my cycle is the, um, liver, a liver supplement because I'm like, Oh, lots of iron and liver. Right. So mm-hmm. I guess I was on the right track with that. Whether, whether it was purposeful a, or not. <laughs> I take an organ complex every day. That's kind of like my multivitamin. That's what I think of it as too. Like I don't take a multivitamin, but I'm like, it's so rich in like B vitamins and A and, and, and all those like the iron and the different things. I'm like, it's kind of like a multivitamin when you think about it, all the stuff. If you read about like, um, actual supplements or what, where almost everyone lists organ meats is like the food source of it. So I'm like, yeah, it's kind of like a multivitamin, but yeah, I always try to make sure if I'm not super strict, always about taking stuff regularly, but I always try to make sure at least, at least in like that week, I'm taking my, my liver supplement. It was intuitive. You just knew. <laughs> There's something telling me that it was the right time to do it. <laughs> 
in just like a couple of notes about like, I get a lot of questions around like exercise and I think on, even with food, exercise, any of that stuff, like a lot of the times we try to get like into a schedule and a routine, which I totally understand and I think is really important. But if you can kind of match that up with where you are in your cycle, you just won't be like fighting yourself as much. Um, and like during your period, especially the first couple of days and even a couple of days before it, you're going to have low energy. It's okay. That is normal. Your body is not as well as good at handing, handling stress at this point. So I always say like do more gentle exercise or don't exercise at all. Like I love working out. I do it all the time, but like I do not work out at the beginning of my period unless I really, really want to, yeah. you know, like, and it's usually like yoga. So I'm, I'm not going crazy. Yeah, so, and I think giving yourself that permission and knowing that so that you don't feel guilty, you know, is, is important. Well, I like what you said too. Like, it's okay. It's not like, I think sometimes when people get um, like a fatigue feeling, they automatically think, oh gosh, something's wrong with me because I get, I'm always, and, and sometimes I think they don't correlate necessarily with their cycle either because we don't, not a lot of people track their cycles, but you know, I can always tell it's coming. I do get a little more tired. I don't work out usually like the day before and like the first one or two days, but sometimes not even the whole, the whole my whole cycle because I just don't feel like it and I'm okay with that. Um, but I think automatically people think, Oh, fatigue, there's something wrong. Right. And it's okay. Like you're saying to just understand that maybe your energy is not going to be as high. That's okay. And like plan accordingly, you know, take the time you need to rest, listen to your body. And that's okay to do that. You don't have to be going a hundred miles a minute all the time and you're not made to either. So like when you're feeling that way, Take the moment, relax, listen to what your body needs and nourish that, that part of your, your cycle, right? Yes, for sure. And even like a lot of research and if you look back kind of at like traditional practices, they look at women as doing better on like a three weeks on of like work or whatever you want to call it. And then one week off, like we work best in that in those kind of time increments, but obviously like your employer is probably not going to go for that. Um, but it's very, it's just good to know because I think we're always trying to conform to whatever society is. And if you can just kind of know yourself a little bit, I also make a period plan, I call it. So I always know when my period's coming up. Um, and I just use an app to track it on my phone. I like the flow app. There's a billion of them. You can even just use the regular period tracker. in if you have an iPhone, um, but super simple. I just know when it's coming up. I put it in my calendar and I just like do not overbook myself and overextend myself on those days and a couple of days leading up. So in the whole reason behind this is because you are more fatigued, but if you can not go crazy the beginning of your cycle, it you'll feel better the rest of your cycle. If you are draining yourself during a time when you're already physically draining, mm -hmm. you are going to feel worse later on. Cause your body's doing a lot of stuff in that time. It's not, you know, your body is working hard during yeah. that time, just sitting here, just sitting here doing nothing. <laughs> so and that makes sense. Even leading up to your period too. So that's kind of like phase one, your menstrual cycle, your actual period. And then phase two is the follicular phase. This is when estrogen is increasing, when our follicles are being stimulated by a hormone called FSH. And we're really just kind of prepping our eggs for ovulation. So your estrogen is increasing, which means that you can handle more carbohydrates, which is just like exciting because who doesn't like carbohydrates? Um, 
and your energy is going to start to ramp up. So like, you're going to feel better. I would say like, especially if you kind of took it easy during your period, that fatigue will go away sooner if you just relax. So try to relax. And then as you move into this phase, know that like start ramping up your exercise again, getting into your typical routine, especially like weightlifting. Like this is a great time for lifting heavy weights. You're stronger because remember your hormones are still low in that beginning period. Um, so if you are someone that likes to do that kind of stuff, like you'll have more energy at this time. And as far as like food goes, like eat more starchy carbohydrates. Don't be afraid of foods like that. Like I know a lot of women have fears around like carby foods, um, but they actually, most women do really well with them. So that's definitely something to consider. And like, you know, just you're moving out of that kind of like hermit time and just kind of be more social workout, but still get enough sleep. Perfect. So, um, when we're talking about like phase one, phase two, are you talking about like, what's the kind of time frame? Is it the whole week? Uh, like, is it a whole week for like phase one, even if you're not actually on your period during that week? Or is it like day one is the day one of your cycle? And then, uh, like phase two starts at like the day your after your uh, period ends. Yeah, it's different for everyone. So it's like your menstrual cycle is only your menstrual cycle. Most women, it's like three to seven days. Um, And then as soon as that is done, you're moving into your follicular phase. So like a normal period is like three to seven days, I would say. So some Um, people's phase one might be three days. Some people's phase one might be seven days. Yeah. And you're just going to have like a slightly different hormonal shift, but everyone goes through those same phases. So as soon as, even if your period is seven days, then that day eight, that's starting your follicular phase, your estrogen increases, your FSH increases. Um, But even like, usually if you have a longer period, by the end of your period, you're starting to feel better. Sure. So that's, that's kind of like the follicular phase. And that's a lot of people call like the first half of your cycle, the follicular phase, which like it can be, but also like you cannot forget the menstrual phase. I just feel like it's really different. Sure. Um, And then I think one of the most fun phases, which is ovulation, that's phase three. And this is three to five days. I usually say like closer to five days because like if you're using the fertility awareness method, like, or if you're tracking that kind of stuff, you know, even the days leading up to the day you ovulate, you are technically fertile. So ovulation is when you're actually releasing the egg. It's when you can get pregnant. It's also when you have lots of energy if your hormones are balanced. So like if any of this doesn't apply to you, that's okay. You might just like be a little bit out of balance. Um, and we can kind of talk about that after we go through the phases, but during this time, you're going to have a lot more energy, but your hormones are going to be increasing. So like your testosterone increases, which is why most women have a much higher sex drive at this time. Not all. Um, and like, I have some women that feel amazing. And then I have some women that because of that, you know, big shift in hormone changes, they even get some anxiety and depression. So it's like, it's going to impact everyone really differently, but generally you feel better. You're much more resilient to stress, which I like to note. Cause I'm like, if you have, if you say you have like a big event that you need to plan or a vacation or something like that, I'm like, go during this time. If you can like try to plan stuff more. Um, if you have to like 
get less sleep one night or something like that. Like during this phase, like your body can just handle it a lot better. Uh, but you are increasing your hormones. So you do want to increase like raw veggie intake. I always say like, try to get more cruciferous veggies in. So like this whole second half of your cycle, like ovulation, and then we'll talk about the last phase, your hormones are increasing. And the reason why you want to add more cruciferous veggies in, um, and like things like dandelion root and stuff like that is because you want to help your body get rid of those excess hormones. So cruciferous veggies like broccoli, broccoli sprouts, which I love. You can grow them at home. Cauliflower, cabbage, uh, dandelion greens, artichoke, like all that kind of stuff is amazing. And just like having at least one serving a day can be really helpful. And so we said, um, obviously your testosterone and stuff is higher and people who get like some anxiety or depression or different, like some kind of more negative feelings during this time, does that typically mean that they might have a hormonal imbalance that they need to, um, kind of look into more or is it just people are affected in different ways? I think it's from like, I, I don't know if you follow Dr. Kelly Brogan, but like she kind of talks about this stuff a little bit. Mm-hmm. And what the research shows is like the, it just kind of like how hormonal birth control can impact uh, women differently. The shifts in hormones can impact women differently. So like, say you're going from like that lower estrogen type phase, and then you're increasing during ovulation like some women just like get kind of like blown back by that shift more than others. I think it's more of a genetic thing, Mm -hmm. but there's like not enough information on that. I just like to say it because I think that we all think, Oh, I should be so happy and feel amazing during this time. But it's like, it's okay if you don't, but know that about yourself, you know, like pay attention and be like, okay, I'm approaching ovulation. If I feel down, this could be why I have had a lot of success with like looking at your nutrition though. And just sure. making sure that like you're eating enough veggies, you're eating balanced meals because like food has such a big impact on mental health. Um, and then even consider something like seed cycling. I, I love that because it's actually funny. I started to track my cycles not, not that long ago, maybe within the last year, year and a half or so. And it, it is funny because I do notice things that I didn't correlate to my cycle just kind of like, oh gosh, I feel like crap. And then I'd be like, oh gosh, I feel like crap again. And then I, after I started tracking, I'm like, oh, it's at like the same time in my cycle every, every time, but I never really thought about it because I wasn't tracking them. But then it was like, oh yeah, this makes sense. There's like a correlation I can make to it now because it always is at the same time, which I didn't realize before because I never really paid attention to it. And that's, I think that's the cool part about tracking is that you get a lot of information. So like you, you're better understanding yourself. And if you're feeling like that the same time every month, then you can actually do something about it, you know, instead of just being like, what's happening. Um, and some women kind of know, like they intuitively know where they are in their cycle, Mm -hmm. even if they're not tracking, but I definitely think it can help, especially if you like dealing with something like depression or anxiety, like intensely every month at a specific time, like knowing about that, it can just make it so that you can make more changes. So I think it's totally worth it. Um, but even if you do, if you are feeling like that during ovulation, like during this kind of like phase, like doing things like you have more energy. Typically, if you're feeling down, like it's still a good time to maybe go get some exercise, go outside. There's so many other things you can do. And because it's like 
maybe you like, obviously sleep is really important, but if your schedule maybe doesn't always allow for those things, it's like you can handle it like around this time. So always something to like consider, um, and be more social. Even if you feel a little bit down, it's like this, this would be a good time. And that could be something to kind of like pull you out of it. You know, for me, I think part of my issue when I didn't track my cycle cycles was because I had a regular, I used to have really irregular periods. And so I didn't even like, I was like, I don't have my period. So I, it wasn't even like in my mind that I was still going through the phases and I was missing periods. But so I, you know, before I started tracking them and before I got them in a more regular um, cycle, I didn't even correlate it with my period because I was like, I'm not having a period. So, you know, it has nothing to do with that. I'm not even having one, not even thinking like, yeah, my body's still going through cycles. I'm just not getting, so I was going through different phases. I just wasn't getting my period for whatever reason. And then once I started tracking it, um, I was like, and they became more, (laughs) you know, more uh, regular. I was like, oh, all that time when I was thinking those symptoms were related to something else it was really related to like the, the hormonal shifts and stuff like you're saying. So it was kind of eye opening, like, Oh, duh. <laughs> but that's a good idea. I mean, is it true when people say like, if you're having regular periods and you're sh- starting to try to track things that you should track it with like start on the moon cycles and try to track it that way. Is that a good way to, if you're like skipping periods or, you know, they're not on a regular cycle, is that a good way to start tracking them or no? I mean, I would just, it's a good way to like, say if you're trying to make changes, like if you're like, I like, if if you don't get a period right now, or if they're kind of sporadic, you, it's great to try and sync them up to the moon. Cause that's how we naturally kind of have evolved. Um, obviously now it's like, we get a lot less light and we're not outside as much. It can be different, but whenever someone's starting like seed cycling or something like that, I always say like, do it with the moon. If you don't currently have a cycle okay. or if your cycles are irregular, because most of the time it's going to be about 28 to 30 days apart, right? The different new moon and full moon, um, or the different like kind of whole phases, uh, then that'll put you basically on a regular cycle. But- okay. So that might be where it comes from with the the seed cycling that might be how it came yeah. out with the cycling. Okay. So the last phase of the female cycle phase four is the luteal phase. So this is going to range for some women, like 10 to 14 days is normal. You don't want to have too short of a luteal phase. Cause then it can be difficult, especially if you're trying to get pregnant and carry out that pregnancy, you want to make sure it's long enough. Um, so usually closer to like 12 days is best, but really what's happening is your hormones are reaching their peak. So they increase during ovulation, the last phase we talked about, but during phase four, usually about a week before your period or like three to four days after you ovulate, that's when your estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone reach their highest phase. And this is when all those symptoms like PMS symptoms start to creep in. So usually you're much more fatigued. You're probably not recovering as well from workouts. Um, And it's just because your body is dealing with these excess hormones. So it's similar to what I was talking about as far as like nutrition goes for that last phase, like getting in more cruciferous veggies is going to be huge. And also things like beets, adding in root vegetables. They're only because like they're really grounding during this time. And it's really easy to kind of feel like all over the place, um, have more like different types of mood changes and stuff like that. I do recommend avoiding. This is really the only time that I'm like pretty strict on avoiding certain things. Cause I'm usually 
Like I, I like to be more like lax with that kind of stuff when it comes to nutrition, but things like caffeine and like certain inflammatory foods, they can just make it so that your period is not as enjoyable. So caffeine has a huge impact on our stress response in the body um, and our mood, which I think a lot of people don't associate with. Like they're like, oh, I feel fine when I drink caffeine. Like it doesn't bother me because I might not get like jittery, but like, are you getting moody later in the day? Are you snapping quicker? Um, how, how is it impacting you like that? Like I get really mean when I drink caffeine in the morning. <laughs> I did just drink some caffeine, but in my defense, I just sent in my period yesterday. So I'm okay. Your well, yeah, your body's like it can clear it better, and like it's not going to have as big of an impact. So especially during that first half of your cycle, I'm like drink it more, but like try to be careful during like leading up to and during your period. Um, and then things like like dandelion root tea is amazing because again, like you have to support your liver during this time. Like it's a great time to be thinking about okay, like how can I add in some more like herbal liver support? Um, and then those inflammatory foods. So like being careful with too much sugar, too much dairy, especially like if you have painful periods or heavy periods, um, and then like gluten and more processed foods. So like, obviously we want all those foods during this time. So I think that that can be really tricky, but if you know, and you can be prepared with these other foods, like healthier versions of things like eat chocolate, it's not that big of a deal and it has magnesium. So it could even help cramps, but be aware of like, you know, how those other things like the sugar that's in it and stuff like that. Cause that can make it so that you, your blood sugar, just more out of balance. You're going to be a lot moodier um, and probably more inflamed. And then that can lead to a painful period. Yeah, that makes sense. Now on, on the last cycle, I was going to ask you this. You taught, you said something about fertility, some, some fertility method. What, can you tell people what that is? Because I don't know if people um, have heard that. Yeah, so before. the fertility awareness method, a lot of people call it FAM. That is when you are, you're basically tracking your cycle and you're taking your temperature every morning. It's your basal body temperature. And this is telling you like, so you know, you'll hit a point in your cycle where your temperature slightly increases and then it stays increased. And that is showing that you ovulated. So I use this method to prevent pregnancy, but you can also use it to help you get pregnant. Most people think of it as like tracking like their uh, fertility and ovulation to get pregnant. You can use it for the opposite as well. Very effective. Um, mm -hmm. And it's temperature is the main thing, but you can also track like your cervical mucus is really big. That changes throughout your cycle. I would never just track that. I know some people like are totally cool with that. I think it's better to like use your temperature and your cervical mucus. And this all probably sounds really like a lot of work, but it's, it's not, especially if you're tracking your cycle. I use a Daisy. I actually have it right here. Um, this is my Daisy thermometer and this is the older one. They just came out with a new one. Um, it's like Bluetooth. So it automatically connects to your phone. I have to like plug mine in, but basically what it does is it's a basal body thermometer, but it also has this algorithm inside. And so every morning before I get up, like as soon as I wake up, before I get up to pee, anything like that, I take, I press the button and I take my temperature and then it'll beep when I'm done and it'll show either green, yellow, or red. And that's basically like green is like, you're good. You're not fertile. Yellow means it doesn't know. So be careful. And red is like, you're in your fertile window or we think you are. So if you don't want to get pregnant, like don't have sex or have protected sex. Um, and that's just off your temperature though. Yeah. Okay. So if you were like sick 
or something and your temperature was up, then it would also say. It'd probably be yellow. So okay. what happens is it gets to know your cycle. So it, it doesn't automatically like tell you, like when you first start using it, it's yellow for like a month. Cause it's, mm, okay. it's, it's basically like getting to know your cycle. Cause you also put in, when you get your period, you like hit a button when you have your period and stuff. So it's tracking your period. It's also tracking like when you ovulate. So like, I know my average ovulation day is day 16 or 17, which is great for me. Cause then I know like the five days leading up to that, I need to be really careful because I don't want to get pregnant yet. Um, but it'll be really helpful when I do. So, okay. It's great. There's a lot. There's a few other thermometers out there. They don't have as much research behind them. Um, they do a lot of research as a company. It is a little bit pricier, but I mean, I used to pay for all their birth control. So to me, it's like a cheaper option, sure. um, but it's a great, it's great if you're scared of messing it up. It basically does it for you. Okay. Yeah. I don't think that's something a lot of people have heard of. So I, I when you said it, I wanted to come back to it. Yeah. How many days typically does someone cycle uh, go. So from you know day one, you start your period till the last day before you start your period again, how long is that cycle typically for, for most women? So it can range from like 24 to 36 days. Um, that's can, anywhere in between it's considered normal, but I always say like you want to track your cycle for a while to understand what your normal is. So like for me, my cycle is between like 30 and 32 days. It's a little bit longer. I am under 30. So I feel like, you know, the older you get, the shorter your cycle is going to get because your hormones are shifting. I've also seen women that have children typically have 28 days or less. Um, even if they are younger, just cause you've had those big hormonal shifts and like stress on the body, but that is considered normal. And like, so the older you get, if you're like, Oh my God, my cycle is only like 24, 25 days. Like it's okay. Okay. So it's going to get shorter the older you get. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so those are the four phases. Those are the average kind of the times. So let's talk a little, go back and talk a little bit about the seed cycling that you were talking about. So what do people, what is seed cycling and why do people do it or what, what's the benefit of it? So seed cycling, it's actually really old and you probably learned about this when you went through all like your herbal and like aromatherapy I, stuff. I did not. I, I'm mm -hmm. actually, it's a newer concept to me. I learned, um, I started seeing it maybe well, probably about a year and a half ago when I started doing my own, more of my own research on like the female body and the cycles and stuff. Um, but no, I didn't, I hadn't heard about it at all before, <laughs> before I was doing my own research. So it's more like ancient medicine and like, they're still doing more research on it now, like scientifically to see like the efficacy and everything. But it's basically you're taking different types of seeds and rotating them based on where you are in your cycle. So I recognize the cycle is four phases, but when you're seed cycling, you only have to worry about two. So it's less complicated because I think it can seem kind of intimidating. Like how am I going to remember to change the seeds and stuff, but it's, it's not. So you're thinking you have two phases of your cycle. It's usually, they refer to it as like follicular and luteal. So it's like first half, second half. Okay. And you're during your first half of your cycle, you're using flax seeds and pumpkin seeds. And then during the second half, you're using sunflower and sesame. And the reason being is that the seeds contain specific nutrients that support the hormonal shifts that should be happening. So most women start seed cycling because they feel that they have a hormonal imbalance. And that could be like, maybe you have really strong PMS symptoms, or maybe you have kind of like a varying cycle length, like how you were talking about in the past, like you had really irregular cycles. A lot of women start because irregular cycles, um, or women that are having trouble, like 
getting pregnant and like carrying out a pregnancy to full term. They're basically just trying to get their cycle at that appropriate length. So you're honestly, any hormonal imbalance can benefit. And even if you are perimenopausal or menopausal, like you can totally seed cycle. Um, I had my mom do it when she was going through menopause just because I'm like this literally, you know, your cycles are getting longer and longer further apart. Your symptoms are way more intense. And so if you can kind of, you would still follow a 28 day cycle with the seeds, no matter how short or long your period is, because you're not trying to get the seeds to fit your cycle. You're trying to get your cycle to fit the seeds. So it's, it's basically just for hormonal imbalances. It's using food to help get you to those proper hormonal fluctuations. And so if someone is using it for like a perimenopause or irregular cycles, would you recommend that they start on like wait until they have their first period, then start on the first day of their cycle? Or how would you recommend someone getting started if they're already, if they're not regular already? I would say start on the new moon. So you would, so you'd start like you'd act at, you start with day one of the seeds on the new moon. You can also do this. Like I've had clients that they just want their cycle to be synced up with the new moon. Cause they, you know, they're into that stuff. They're like all the woo they want to just be in tune. So that you can totally do that. And that works. I'm you're, I'm so into the woo. I have like so many crystals in here. I, um, I just love that. You said they're so into the woo. Like, yeah, it's just a thing. It's let's go. They're just like, they're like, I want to be in tune with the moon. I love the Like the more I learn about the moon, the more I love like the moon cycles as well. So I do see that there's like kind of a cool uh, correlation and it's fascinating to think of like the moon cycling and the female cycle and all that good stuff. It is kind of a fascinating uh, topic. And if anyone wants to learn more about that, they should read the book Moon Time. It's really short and it's really accessible and like anyone could understand it. Um, but it's like a real, it's, and if you're just trying to get more in tune with your cycle, I love it. It's a great quick read, but yeah, like, so if you do not have a cycle or if your cycles are regular, or if you just want to get in sync with the moon, or if you're like perimenopausal, you can just start day one of the seeds with the new moon. And if you are like, how on earth do I find out when the new moon is? You can just Google it and just put 2019 and you'll find it. <laughs> sure. That's awesome. Um, one other thing I want to talk to you about, and unless you had something else you wanted to add about seed cycling before I jump ship and start talking about something Yeah, so, else. and I, I have a whole, I have a really in-depth blog post and a, okay. a free guide so people can download that from the blog. But basically, like if I know people are going to be like, how much of the seeds, blah, blah, blah. So oh, yeah. one tablespoon of freshly ground seed, each type, each day for- so two tablespoons like, total, one of each. Yeah. Okay. one of each type of seed and then, and you want to like freshly grind them or you can, gr I grind them at the beginning of the week and I freeze them and then just take them out of the freezer because seeds are very susceptible to oxidation because the fats are not super stable. Um, so do not buy ground flax seeds. They're going to be oxidized and rancid and they'll make your cycle worse. Um, but you can just try to find organic sources, get a lot of people use a coffee grinder. I just use my blender. Um, I've never had an issue and you do have to grind them unless you're like flax seeds and sesame seeds. You absolutely have to grind. And unless you're a really good chewer, I would grind all of them because it's hard to like, if you don't break them down enough, you're not going to get all the nutrients that you need. Um, but those are just kind of the basics. There's a bunch of recipes and stuff in the guide. If you, if people want to learn more. So if someone were like, oh, I only have pumpkin seeds, let's say, and I want to start this, could they do two tablespoons of pumpkin seeds or they have to do both seeds? 
together to get the benefits. Like you have to do flaxseed and pumpkin seed. You can't just do two tablespoons of pumpkin seed and then like two tablespoons of sunflower seeds. You have to have both of them in combination. Because they do different things. So like flax seeds are a phytoestrogen. So they're like a plant estrogen. They help your body get rid of estrogen. But then pumpkin seeds, they also can bind to excess estrogen. But they also give you certain minerals and vitamins that you need. So it wouldn't be the same. I wouldn't try to like, I wouldn't like hang your hat on your results. And one other thing I will say about seed cycling is that you have to give yourself at least three full cycles to see how it impacts the body. Cause that's how long it takes for your hormones to like have a major shift. So yes, good tips. Um, okay. So the next thing I kind of want to dive in and get your opinion on a little bit is you were talking about, um, hormonal acne. So are there, is something like seed cycling, something that's going to help with hormonal acne? Is that like a thing that's caused by hormonal imbalances? Like I know a lot of people experience hormonal acne or a lot of people experience it after they come off birth control or they start birth control for it. Um, so I'd, I'd love to get your take kind of on what people can do for hormonal acne. So seed cycling can definitely help with that because a lot of the, number one, it's kind of hard to know if your acne is hormonal. Like you might get it at certain times of the month and like that's kind of how you can tell. But the two major hormone imbalances that cause hormonal acne is one is estrogen dominance. And that's just when you have more estrogen than progesterone. They have to be in balance. Um, So you could even have low hormone levels and still be estrogen dominant. And then the other really common one is having high androgens, which are male hormones. And that's usually what you see with like PCOS um, or post birth control. Usually your androgens increase when you get off birth control. So it's like, it's not great, but it is a pretty normal reaction. Um, It's like a rebound effect and it usually happens like three to six months after, but you can definitely use seed cycling. Um, Reishi mushroom is also really, really helpful. If you have high androgens, you do kind of have to test your hormones though. So um, if you go to your doctor and you do a blood test, you can do that. Just make sure you're doing it at your high hormone phase of your cycle. So it's usually about a week before you're going to get your period. Cause a lot of the times we'll be like, yeah, sure. We'll test your hormones right now. And it's like, you just got your period or something. Your hormones are all going to be low. So you want to make sure you do it at a specific time can be related to gut health too. I mean, it's honestly, it's really tricky to know exactly where acne is coming from. Um, it could be like that you have excess hormones in the body. If you're just getting off birth control, it could be that you have something going on in your gut. I know like certain people are just more reactive. Like if for me, like when I'm out of balance, like I was just traveling, I I got a bunch of acne, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's how my body is communicating with me that like things are off. So like some of us are a lot more susceptible to it. So it's like supporting gut health and things like that. Like you know, all the fermented foods, if you can tolerate them, cruciferous veggies, that kind of stuff. Bone broth is amazing. Um, but it's kind of like, you want to look at kind of the big picture. Sure. So, I mean, it, just because you get it necess- just because you get it maybe a week before your cycle or during your, or before your period or during a period, doesn't necessarily mean it's hormonal. You're saying it could be caused by other things. So you kind of have to, to play it out a little bit. Now, if you're doing, let's say trying the seed cycling and trying to, to, to um, use that for like, because you suspect um, a hormonal acne problem, would you also say that you should give it a solid three months um, for that type of issues as well? Yes, definitely. And you, and you might see improvement before then, but before you kind of like give up on it, you'll just make sure you give it at least three solid cycles. 
So kind of the, kind of the rule of thumb is anytime you're trying to do something with uh, the hormones of your cycle, give it three months basically. To- yeah. Cause <laughs> your current symptoms and like, this is really good too. If you start tracking your cycle and you notice like some really crazy symptoms one month and a lot of times we're like, but I was such an angel this past month. Like, why is this happening? But really the last three months are what impacts our current cycle. So if you were on antibiotics or you had like, or some other medication maybe, or you had some, you're not great at Christmas time or something like that, you're seeing those impacts come through or stress, right? You're seeing those impacts come through um, like now basically, right? Because three months ago. And I always, especially like if you, when, if you like lose your period that month or you stop cycling, you always want to think back like, well, what happened in the last three months? You know, like what was kind of going on? And even just thinking even before that, like I recently had a client, she had an irregular period and then it just completely stopped for like six months. And she, that's why she came to me and she's like, can you help me get my period back? I don't know what's going on. And a lot, a lot of it had to do with like, we looked at her last year and it was so much stress. It was like job changes, bought a house, got married. I'm like, well, come on. Like your body is like calling out for help. So like kind of knowing that it's not always like one hormone imbalance or it's not always like your diet. It's usually like that whole big picture that can really impact your cycle. And I like that tip that it's, it's not immediate. It's not what you've been doing. You're like, oh, I've been so good all month long. I've been so good for the past two weeks. And here I am. All this stuff is happening. We have to look back farther. That's where the tracking and stuff can really come in useful as well because you can look back and say, have that, that log of like, okay, here's what's been happening. And then also, um, I don't think people, stress impacts your cycle, right? But also like if you're not getting enough calories and you're not getting enough um, like fats and food and stuff, you can also skip periods because of that too, right? There's other reasons why people skip cycles, skip their periods, sorry, not their cycle, but their period. <laughs> um, besides just like they have a hormonal imbalance. I know, I t- but you said. <laughs> I just like, I just want to like have women realize that your cycle, cycle is not period. just your period. Okay. Yeah. So, and I think people are afraid to say period and I'm like, just say it, you know, like it's, we all get our periods, you know, it's not a big deal, but yeah, like, under eating is a really big one that I see a lot. Even if you want to lose weight, if you have a lot of weight to lose, you will still lose your period when you under eat. I see so many women, most women come to me under eating and they're shocked when they're like, I can eat that much food and then they lose weight, you know? So it's like not fearing food and making sure that you are feeding yourself because those nutrient deficiencies, like that's a lot of the times what is leading to those hormone imbalances. Yeah, that's a great tip because I, sometimes I think people, like you're saying, they cut back so uh, severely, even if they have weight to lose that they don't realize like their, their body's drawing that nutrition that they need and kind of eliminating non-essential things, <laughs> functions and- of the body to keep it functioning. The other f- essential things functioning properly. Yeah. And even like, especially if you're active, like even if you want to lose weight, if you, as long as you're eating an appropriate amount of food, like you can still eat carbohydrates, obviously like whole food based carbs are going to be the best option, but I've seen a lot of women like lose their period and have caused like hormonal imbalances related to like, not just under eating, but eating like super low carb. So kind of making note of like, okay, not only like how much you're eating, but it's like, are you meeting all your nutrient needs? Like in order to ovulate, most women need, you know, around 150 grams of carbs and they're like, 
oh my God, that sounds like so much, but it's, it's really not that much. You don't need to like track your food intake, but think about like, if you eat some fruit, I eat yeah. even like veggies, like if yeah. you eat a lot of veggies, like it can add up and it's not like in a crazy amount. You're not going to be like shoving carbs down your throat. Right. And you might even be hitting that and not knowing it. So just kind of being aware. I love the tracker chronometer. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. So it's like a way to track food, but it looks much more at the micronutrients. So you get to see all the vitamins, all the minerals, fatty acids, amino acids, and see like, are you meeting your nutrient needs? Cause you might feel like you're eating really well, but it's like, maybe you're not getting like any zinc or maybe you're really not getting a lot of B vitamins. So I like to have my clients use that, like not all the time, but like, you know, just to kind of check in and see like, okay, you actually you're eating healthy foods, but you're definitely not meeting your micronutrient needs. Yeah, that's a great tip. Uh, to kind of wrap up here, could we talk a little bit about birth control? Because A, I don't, th- I, I feel like, um, we've talked about this before, I feel like birth control gets prescribed for like every lady problem under the sun. Like anytime you go to uh, the OBGYN or whoever, and you're like, I have these things that I think are related to my period, PMS, whatever. They're like, oh, take some birth control for like basically everything. So what do you think about like, is birth control a great fix for lady problems or is, is it doing more harm? than good when it comes to things like, and you know, people get put on it for acne, they get put on it for uh, cramps, they get put on it for, gosh, I, I mean, anything, fill in the blank, right? Yeah, this gets me really fired up. Um, so, <laughs> and I would even say like, cause there's all different kinds of birth control and you're talking about hormonal birth control. And it's important to make that distinction. Cause I think that when women think of like, okay, I don't want to get pregnant. Like I'm going to, then I'm going to go on the pill. It's like, it's their only option. Um, but knowing that there are other sources. So the pill is usually what doctors prescribe for like, you know, my older sister went on it at 15 for acne and it's like, she was on it for like almost 20 years. Um, like all these things, uh, it, like it doesn't actually fix the problem. It's a bandaid. And so doc, but doctors, I mean, that's how they're taught and I don't blame them for it. Um, I totally understand, but it's doing a disservice to women that should be getting to the root of their problem, but instead they're just putting a bandaid on it and then they stop taking the pill. Cause they're like, I'm 40. Why am I taking this? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Like I get clients that are like 45, they're on the pill. They don't even know why. So it, it's just like a bandaid. It makes it so that your symptoms will be exacerbated after. And the only time I think someone should take the pill is if they're trying to prevent pregnancy. Like it, it wasn't made to fix us because it doesn't fix us. It causes more problems, depletes nutrients in the body. It causes your brain like literally does not talk to your ovaries and you don't make your own hormones. And I think if women really knew that that's how it works, like you don't ovulate and then you wonder why you get off the pill and you have trouble getting pregnant. You know, it's, it's really sad. So, so I think this is an important point to make too, because like you're saying, you go to the, the doctor, you get put on the pill for whatever, you know, the, the problem that you had, it's not actually fixing that problem. Like you're not getting a solution to the problem that you came with. You're covering up a symptom that will essentially still be there because unless you've taken steps to correct it, that symptom is still going to be there when you stop taking the pill, whether it's a year or five years or 10 years down the road, I mean, chances are you get off the pill, you're still going to have mood swings. You're still going to have uh, those terrible cramps or whatever it is that they're, you started the pill for to begin with. It's still going to be there. 
And often you have that plus a bunch of other symptoms because your body depleted all these nutrients like magnesium, B vitamins, zinc, like zinc is really important for your skin. So then when you get off the pill and you have really bad acne, it's like, you need to ramp up your zinc intake. There's like, I mean, you have to think about your gut health, you know, cause the birth control, hormonal birth control negatively impacts the bacteria in your gut. And a lot of the times it can cause candida overgrowth in women. And then they're getting, they're constantly either getting like digestive issues or yeast infections and they don't know why. And it's like, well, you've been on the pill for 10 years. So, and some people can have these symptoms in as little as a year of being on it. So it's not necessarily like the length that you're taking it, but it has a huge impact on your body and it's preventing you from actually cycling. So that period that you get on the pill is not a period. It's a pill bleed. So you don't cycle. Your brain doesn't talk to your ovaries. You're not making your own hormones. Um, one of the biggest things that I see with the pill is that it causes hypothyroidism because when you're on the pill, you have more of these, um, hormone binding globulins. It's called SHBG. And what they do is they bind to excess hormones in the body because you're taking this synthetic hormones, right? And your body's like, I can't handle this. There's too many binds to them, makes them inactive so that you're safe, but it also binds to thyroid hormone. So if you have a thyroid problem, or if you feel like you're starting to get symptoms of one on the pill or after you get off, it's super, super common. And you need to start supporting um, your own hormone balance and production. Yeah, those are great tips. I think that's uh, sometimes we don't always, that's the other part. Once we, when we start you know, people start taking the pill or whatever it is, they're not always super aware of the long-term effects of what that, and obviously that's not the only one. There's a lot of them. So that's something like, if that's, you know, a concern of if you're on the pill or whatever, that's something people could definitely look into, but it's not just hypothyroidism. So there's a lot of um, negative side effects that could happen as a result. And I don't think we're, it's kind of like one of those things where you get it and so many people take it and you don't even probably really think that they're that there are any negative side effects associated because so many people are using it. But I don't think it's one of those things that you're really educated on when you're given it either. No, I feel like I was, if I knew like what it was actually doing in my body, I really think I would have tried something else. You know, like when they actually, if they were like, Hey, you're not actually going to be making hormones. You're not going to get a real period. And you're literally are infertile while taking the pill. Like I feel like I wouldn't have done it, or at least I would have looked for other options. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I get a lot of questions about the other types of hormonal birth control, like, like the IUDs and they all work similarly, but like a lot of them, the IUDs or progesterone only pills, they don't, they're not meant to shut down ovulation. So like a lot of people are like, well, they're not as bad. And I do agree with that to a certain extent. Um, they mainly stop prevent, they mainly prevent pregnancy by thinning the uterine lining and messing with your cervical fluid so that you can't actually act like sustain a pregnancy or get the sperm up there, but still they will indirectly prevent ovulation. The only one, cause I'm sure someone will ask is like, are there any good ones? I would say the Mirena IUD is the only one that after the first year of taking it, you ovulate 80% of the time. So you usually don't actually bleeding at a period but you are still cycling, right? You're moving through the phase of your cycle and you're ovulating. So it's not like my favorite choice. Um, I honestly think that, I don't know how they haven't come up with better birth control. The pill's been around for over 50 years and like they made no improvements to it. You know, it, it's well, just It's crazy. kind of one of those things like they, I think in, in terms of medical 
in the medical field, they probably look at it more like it's not broke. Why fix it type thing, but it kind of is. <laughs> well, I even just did an Instagram post today and I'm writing a blog post on the side effects of hormonal birth control. And one of the most common reasons that women stop taking the pill is depression. And like, I've had close friends, I've had family members that have gone through like serious bouts of depression. When I was at the end of using the copper IED, I was like, not even myself. I felt so crazy. It was terrible. And that's not even hormonal, but it still messes with your hormones. And it's just like, you know, you think that you're crazy and then you tell your doctor and they're like, no, you just need to take this antidepressant. But mm -hmm. like in studies, 10% of women experience depression on the pill. That's like millions of women because so many women take the pill. Like that's right. a really big deal, but a lot, they think it's way underreported, which for sure I totally agree with. And when you see it, you know, it's huge. So if you are, if you're more susceptible to that, say you have that before going on the pill and then you start taking it and you completely change and you don't relate it to that. Cause your doctor's like, no, it doesn't do that. I mean, mm -hmm. it's sad and it's frustrating. And I feel like, you know, they did a, I don't know if you heard about that study for, they were making a pill that men could take like once a month. Mm -hmm. Um, and it would be, it would be like male birth control, Okay, but 5% of the participants in the study experienced anxiety and depression. And they're like, oh, that's unethical. <laughs> and I was like, is this a joke? You know, like, so I know birth control is frustrating. There's a lot of options out there. If you like really want something that is easy, you don't have to think about, you could do the Marina IUD. It, you're still going to ovulate sometimes after the first year. Some women have really bad experiences with it. If you're older, I would say don't because you can go into menopause quicker. Mm. Um, but fertility awareness method is worth looking into. It's a little more work in the beginning, but then you know your body better. You know if you're ovulating, which means you know if you're healthy. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's tricky. I wish there was better answers, but not yet. I actually have another question that came in through the, the Facebook, our Facebook group, which I just um, remembered. Someone wanted to know about getting like getting your tubes tied basically. So is there any impacts on your hormones from getting your tubes tied? Is there, they, this particular person thought that their PMS and stuff had gotten worse from having their tubes tied. Um, but is there any downsides to getting your tubes tied that you're aware of? Not that I'm aware of. I think that it, that is, if you're like done having kids or you've decided not to have them, I think that that's totally an option. But I would say, have your husband get fixed, you know, like it's, <laughs> it's, it's less of a one, it's a less invasive surgery. Um, and there are no negative side effects for men. So if you obviously like it's already happened, like I would say like try seed cycling. Like I know, you know, things might be a little bit different, but that at least mm -hmm. is going to support the right shifts in your hormones. Um, and if you, and if you're someone that maybe you don't get a period anymore, but you're still kind of experiencing a lot of women still get PMS each month. Um, like flax seeds are going to be like your best friend, like freshly ground flax seeds. You can do two tablespoons a day and that can really, really help, but it could also so be you're like, saying you can bump it up to do two tablespoons of flax seed and like one tablespoon of pumpkin seed. Well, you can, no, I mean like you can do that throughout your whole cycle. Oh, you can take the flax seed through your whole cycle. You're yeah. Like if, if you're someone that's like already gone through menopause or say you have like endometriosis or something like that, or you've gotten your hormones tested, you know, you have estrogen dominance, like that's okay. definitely something you can do, but also like remembering that like surgery is stressful. So that it could be a major stressor on the body. And like, that's mm -hmm. why you're experiencing this. I don't know how long ago it was for them, but yeah. It, so it might not necessarily be a direct 
correlations. It might be a coincidence that she has had her tubes tied and now she has worse PMS, but also she's obviously had children and, and that kind of stuff too. So that does change everything as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's all, all great tips. So I think we like packed a ton into this um, session here, but so if people want to find out more about you, they want to find out more about what you do. They want to find more about all the women's stuff. Where can they find you? So I do lots of blog posts on my website. It's yournontoxiclife.com. Um, I've got all my free guides up there. I'm also really active on Instagram. It's my Instagram handles at Amanda Montalvo and then the letters RD. Um, I do lots of like mini trainings and stuff on there. And I do have a private Facebook group. It's like for non-toxic living and female health. So you could always, and that link for that's on my website. So you could always come hang out with me in there. Awesome. And we will link to that in, in our, um, all our places as well so that people can find you easily. Thank you so much, Amanda. This was super enlightening, super fun. Lots of great info. Thanks for having me. I know <laughs> it's fun talking about all this stuff and I hope that everyone finds it helpful. If you have questions, like feel free to reach out to me. Um, I'd love to chat. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Synergistic Healing. If you liked it, be sure to rate it and share it with anybody who you think might benefit from it. You can find me at kristinbango.com where you'll learn more about natural health and our natural health group, Synergistic Healing. Until next time.